Welcome to a Script to Screen workshop podcast. Script to Screen is a charitable organisation developing the craft and culture of storytelling for the screen in Aotearoa, New Zealand. In May 2021, Script to Screen partnered with the Aotearoa Screen Publicists Collective to present the A to Z of screen publicity wānanga. The aim of the workshop was to show the many ways screen publicists can work alongside creatives to ensure their stories are discovered and watched by their target audiences. The sessions were recorded and this is one of 10 that you can listen to. Each session has its own whakatauki befitting the theme of the discussion. He te mea nui o te ao. He tangata, he tangata, he tangata. What is the most important thing in the world? It's people, it's people, it's people. Welcome to A is for Audience. In this session, you'll hear Ruben Wurimu, Senior Manager at TVNZ Marketing, Amata'i Levi Stella Muller, Director at Bright Sunday, and Stephen Smith, Head of Audience at RNZ. They're discussing the job of creating a real connection between your story and its audience with Gemma Gracewood, Editor-in-Chief of Letterboxd, the social network for film lovers. In this conversation, um, I want to touch on the crucial basics of understanding audiences and how to target them and dig into measurement tools and buzzwords like data and insights so we can understand how to create richer audience profiles when we are setting up our stories for success. And ultimately, how do you measure success? Uh, what, does, what does meaningful engagement look like beyond reach and eyeballs? Um, but I guess my first question for all of you, but I'm gonna start with Stella because hands up if you're from South Auckland. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Stephen, sorry about that. You can go next. <laughs> Is, um, you know, when you think of audience, what is audience to you? I mean, audience for me um, is about con- helping our clients connect to um, the people and the market that um, don't know that they need you <laughs> or um, have a desire, f- a desire or need to connect with your product, service, brand. Yeah. Uh, audience for me is quite broad because we uh, at TVNZ are looking at all sorts of demos, but largely anyone 18 to 54 is who we commercialise um, and sell our, you know, sell our advertising to. So for us, it's quite a broad audience, but it's anyone that's interested in being entertained or informed. Kia ora. Um, at RNZ, we describe our relationship with the audience as being well, the aspiration to develop a lifelong relationship with all the people of Aotearoa. So in a commercial context, people pass through demographics, uh, you know, through their, through their lives, and that's the focus of the interest for commercial media for, for RNZ. It starts essentially, you know, from the day they're born. We, we're trying to think about how we develop that relationship. We understand we have a way to go, but we make the distinction between an audience and all the people of Aotearoa. My, my first reaction to that is Bad Jelly the Witch. <laughs> I think that probably developed, I don't know about anyone else here, but yeah. yes. <laughs> Um, that's how you get them young, eh, at, over at public radio. <laughs> and then they have kids, and then you got them again. Yeah, so, um, so what do you love about working in this space, in the space between the content and, and the people who receive it? What do you enjoy about that? It's such a, it's such a mysterious art to, to the rest of us. We just want to make the stories. For me personally, it's it's the privilege to work in an industry that touches people emotionally. And um, there are so many great stories, both locally and internationally, that get to be told. And there's personalities and there's, uh, you know, societal issues that you get to address. And, and the fact that we have that privilege and that platform to communicate with people on an emotional level, it's 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 truly amazing. Um, unlike, as a marketer, if I was working in um, the likes of insurance, then we're probably not talking the same level of emotion other than anger, upset, sad. You know, it's quite different with content. You get to change people's lives and, and, and that's a privilege. 
And what excites me is um, I'm really passionate about creative entrepreneurship and I really see marketing as the vehicle for where rubber where the rubber meets the road. And I love being able to help our clients, whether we're working with our public sector clients or whether we're working with NGOs or filmmakers or content makers, help um, yeah, understand their audience and then develop a relationship with them through different marketing vehicles to, and to see that translate to building a brand or um, and eventually, you know, that commercial success that, that we're all holding out for. So, yeah. And I think uh, for us it's about, uh, in the context of the work that you do, it's about helping to connect and inform the people of Aotearoa. Mm -hmm. uh, and and the, I guess the, uh, the foundational thinking to that is helping to create a, an informed and particip participatory democracy. So it's, it works at that level. In some senses, uh, in, in a quite colonial sense, the, the, the product or the content to audience relationship can be quite transactional. Here's a thing, watch it. Um, do, you, do you put thought into how we move beyond that, into, into it being more of a circular loop of... Yeah, I, for us, increasingly, uh, working with the people that you represent and and uh, other members of the, and particularly the independent production community. It's about um, us commissioning content from the people who are the audience that we're trying to reach as well. So getting past that, we're making some stuff for you, you watch it, to you're making stuff for you, would you like to watch it? And, and definitely with some of the, um, the films and um, some of the people that we work with, there is definitely making the film, making the content, and that speaks volumes in terms of the beautiful storytelling that comes through. But um, we've also been able to work with some of our clients to really leverage the film as um, a point of generating conversations for social movements and so forth. So those are some of the things that I like to unpack with, um, you know, the producers or the filmmakers up front to understand, like, what does success look like for you? Because not for everyone, it's not necessarily... Well, no. Everyone does desire commercial success. Um, others have uh, another level of driving things like social movements or generating conversations. And often for some of those people, those things are just as important as the commercial success. I think the only thing that I would add to that is um, probably last year is a good example of um, COVID where it became less about a transactional relationship not only because advertisers pulled their money out, but um, because we literally all started, all media companies were behaving like a, a public service broadcaster. And, you know, those 1pm updates were essential for New Zealand to get, you know, factual information versus all of the things that were circulating around other platforms. Um, and so that's, you know, that, that, that's something that helped the country get through, you know, that, the last year. I think um, the Wellington paranormal... COVID messages with, um, with, with where it turned out that Officer O'Leary's mum was one of the top twins, was one of my favourites. Um, but we'll get to that. I would love to um, dive in to um, how, we, how we understand audience and why it's important to understand. And Stella, I think, let's start with you because you've got some, uh, a great case study to talk to that feels very much in the, um, I, I guess, craft and, and budget level of a lot of people in the room, so it's sort of immediately useful. Can you talk me through what you've done and some of the methods that you rely on to identify target audiences and build a campaign for a piece of work? Yeah. So if we can have the presentation. Yeah. So um, we work with, um, well, uh, my my, I have um, 20 years of um, experience in marketing, um, advertising and PR, mainly in the public sector. And I was just sharing with Gemma a few years ago, we had Catherine Fitzgerald walk into our office. I had no idea who Catherine was. And um, she was working with Tusi Tamasese's film. And cut along so short, they wanted to um, really work with a Pacific marketing agency to connect with, um, with Pacific audiences. What I was sharing with Gemma was that it's just been, um, there truly is like a coming of age for our Pacific filmmakers because we're seeing a lot of product coming out, whether it's films, whether it's web series. So just wanted to acknowledge all our amazing um, storytellers in the room. Um, often when we're working with, whether you're at film or web, the, um, the question always is, is like, we, we want to connect with the Pacific audience. Uh, oh, okay, yeah. We want to connect with the Pacific audience. And um, part of what 
helps us determine what to do um, after we unpack goals is all of that, is really understanding budget. And what I've discovered in the film, um, the uh, entertainment industry, the budgets, um, you know, if there's funders in the room, Amy, um, you know, I really want to advocate for the marketing budget line to be reconsidered because, um, you know, there's a whole lot of work um, that, that, that needs to be done. And those of you who are in publicist roles, you know, you're having to really shift your roles to be like digital marketing people. You've got to be really integrated in your approach and working. And we've been really fortunate to work with people like Chris Henry who really... Collectively, we've been able to do some amazing things. Anyway, so Kathleen Mantle, who's from Black Iris, she produced the Baba um, series. We worked with them first time round to um, with um, promoting, um, getting eyeballs onto the on-screen demand. What um, was their platform? Um, Multi TV, yeah. So this is a little case study from our second time round because we had some learnings from the first time. And I think this will be really useful um, for you guys because it's a small budget and it's a good way of illustrating like when you know your audience and you can optimise it, you can also uh, optimise your results as well. So um, basically because I cannot see it down here. Um, we This campaign, uh, we did it over 13 weeks um, and collectively across what we did digitally, um, just through some activations and some PR, we worked out that our reach was um, about 200K. What's interesting though is that... Um, K, ding, ding, ding. 200,000. <laughs> um, what's interesting, though, is that like a lot of that reach was attributed to our digital stuff, and we only had um, $2,500 to um, do some work there. So um, what we did was, this was a project where we partnered. Uh, we made a decision as an agency. We really love um, Kathleen's work, um, Paletti Oli, and um, time-wise, we put some of our time in there, but we also connected in... Um, this, this project to uh, another partner who helped put in a little bit more money to support our time. So basically, um, the primary goal for us was about getting uh, link clicks and um, to the on-demand website platform. Because for us, um, that was the measure, being able to like deploy content and get people to the door. And so then the rest has to happen from the other side. And what we did is we created these um, promotional content um, and it was targeted to certain personas. So what we did early on when we sat down, we identified, sorry, I'm going to be a teacher. I'm going to, sorry, to low, to low. Um, we identified that our audience, we knew the Pacific audience would be it, but this is, I want to say this now to, to everyone. Um, just because you're a Pacific filmmaker making a Pacific story or even not a Pacific story doesn't mean your audience is Pacific. You know, this is the thing we need to speak into that. Um, so what we did was we looked at the audience like um, pop culture. There was a pop culture persona, like people who'd be interested in the whole thing around haircuts and pop culture around hair. Then we looked at um, people who were interested in the Pacific culture because the content had some really good um, narrative about life as a first, second generation New Zealander parents who migrated here, there was good stuff around that. And there was this awesome, rich content about mental, uh, men's mental health. So what we did is we created these seven pieces. And in here, I know you can't see it, but we had identified the demographics, the geographics of these groups and interests that maybe some of these men uh, might have. So how do you identify that? You just got to use your logic <laughs> and because none of us can really afford like Nielsen research reports to like do this kind of stuff, right? So I call it fishing. You just got to start with logic, maybe looking at other campaigns and, you know, guessing some of it and then you got to go out and fish and, and watch the performance of your content. So um, what was the result? Um, over the, the, the all the videos that we deployed, um, the budget was split across the seven videos and we let the KPIs of the video, the performance of the video, dictate ding, ding, how much ding. more we would put around it. Okay. What is a KPI? Oh, um, uh, key performance indicator. Like metrics, like how's it performing? Uh, was that time over? No, 
Oh, no, that was just. <laughs> oh, sorry, I've yeah. just realised for our panelists, yeah. Reuben was the only one here in the room when we established the rule. Yeah. <laughs> which is that whenever there's an acronym or a oh, buzzword, yeah. Yeah. you've got to spell it out. Yeah. And you might hear someone say ding, ding, ding. And yeah. in this case, it's me. Yeah. <laughs> so, for, so for those of you um, who are new to digital marketing, the, 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 the way that you look at metrics is reach, like, you know, how far is the net cast, who actually viewed it, which is the next layer in, who actually clicked it, who actually engaged, which means they might have comments, share, post, whatever. And then ultimately, what we, what we wanted them to click and go to the Maldi TV episode, yeah? So the reach there was 234,000. Um, episode two's trailer about Peleti's uh, parents um, and their sacrifice um, was the strongest, and I just want to play that for you now, 15 seconds, and then we'll also play the Manu, which is another 15 seconds. As we swear in the first Pacific Island councillor in the history of the Hastings District Council. I was born in Savai'i in Satuiatua in a small straw hut, so I acknowledge my, my parents. They sacrificed their education, they sacrificed their careers to give us an opportunity, moved us here to a foreign land, and now we're here. So, the point to note here was that we deployed these like on the week, like not like three weeks ahead of time, because timing, those little nudges, we were, we were wanting to push people to the episode. So that was created for the Pacific um, cultural persona, and um, that got a massive response. And then this was the other one, the Manu. I want to get a, a diving pool where kids can do bombs. They don't allow you to do Manus anywhere in Hawke's Bay. Now, I've seen our brown Māori kids, Pacifica kids, kind of standing there in the corner. I'm like, what happened? They're like, oh, we're not allowed to do bombs anymore. We're not allowed to do manus. But they banned it recently, and now we're not allowed to do manus. So that's where that passion comes from. I think Uso might get his, get his bombing pool. <laughs> Gonna break all the rules, but who cares? <laughs> it's more than just manu. It's, it's a culture. It's a lifestyle. It's, it's, it's a sense of belonging and all of that. So while we're just switching back to the PowerPoint, what I wanted to point out there is that, yes, you can do Manu's now. <laughs> you did get the pool. And um, some of the publicity, I wouldn't say it's all Pileti, but, you know, some of this all helps. The other thing, too, is that um, with the Māori TV assets, because um, they, they um, had very um, generic... Not generic, but they've got kind of set assets, like a formula of how they cut their assets. You wouldn't have been able to get that kind of deep dive for content, so that's why we cut separate content, separate to the trailer, so that we can speak more specifically into those personas. I have a question about who cut it, who you worked with to cut it. Oh, that was us. Yeah, yeah. so you made those trailers. Yes. Yeah, not the programme editor. No, no. Important so, distinction. Yeah, yeah we had, uh, with our, um, we, when Kathleen came in, we secured a project partner that was, wanted to spend, support men's wellbeing to come in as a uh, partner with us, and they covered a little bit of our time there. But as I said, you know, it was still a, a small budget. But yeah, to make the distinction, there was the assets that Māori TV did, and then there's what we did, because our job was was trying to drive more people to the Māori TV and be really, really targeted, and Māori TV was doing their own bits and pieces, yeah? So, um, really, uh, just to get to the bottom of it, we know that, um, that it was really optimised because the, the, the average cost per link click was 13 cents, and that was much cheaper than the global average cost of 35 cents US, and so it shows that, the, that the, it was really well optimised, like really well targeted. Um, we also did things like, separate to the digital, we um, contacted barbers, distributed, posted, created other ways for people to like create content. That's another good way. Like People like to have, be an exclusive club of getting things and like, tell them, thanks, um, this is especially for you. Please post about it, not just not tell the world about it. So yeah, um, we did some PR um, and, and did some stuff and contributed to the Manu story. But in essence, to wrap up, um, my point was that um, if you take the time just to unpack um, 
who you think your film or um, product is speaking to and have a really good guess at identifying personas, you'll be surprised what result you might get. Okay, fifth time. Stephen, I want to come to you now. Um, can you talk a bit about RNZ's audiences, who they are and where they are in 2021? Right, so for RNZ's growth in its audience reach and engagement um, has extended far beyond the actual radio station. So today, more people view RNZ content on our partner platforms than they do on, than they listen on our radio station and view our content on our website. Mm. And, the, and the reason that's the case, and this is, again, it's something a bit different about public service media. We have a strategy that we describe as radical sharing. And that's basically that um, the, because the money's been invested in the content, we're clear that it has an audience that we want it to reach, that we work with other distribution partners and platforms to get the content out where it, again, where it, from a curated perspective, it can't just go to anybody, but for the kinds of platforms and partners that we work alongside. I mean, Māori Television is a, a great example for, for um, a big project we do around land wars, which we're now, with the uh, Tainui Land Wars project, we're now three into that. So we form these sorts of partnerships. There's some content that will extend across as many as a dozen media partners as well. So that's this concept of, of radical sharing. And the reason why RNZ is able to adopt that kind of approach philosophically is that we're not trying, the transactional value is not turning, it, turning someone's interest or viewership or listenership into money. It's just simply that we want to reach out to you. So what's important in commercial media is the platform because that's where the transaction largely takes place. You need to turn it into advertising views or subscription dollars. That's where RNZ is somewhat uniquely placed to be able to pursue a more radical approach to its uh, sharing of content. In relation to the target audiences, RNZ works off um, what we describe as the 10 New Zealanders. So again, very similar. So we have, we've taken an approach where we've kind of divided up the population into personas. And we've done some deep research using those personas as a starting point. And again, they work the full spectrum of attitudes, behaviours, lifestyles, stage of life, interests and the like. And we're able to mine that, we're able to go right down into some very specific detail. Also, where we need to um, explore um, one or two or three of those um, uh, personas, we commission additional research. So we have a project underway called Project Rangatahi, where broadly we've identified three of those personas as being consistent with um, younger audiences uh, and have commissioned further research to go even deeper into that. Again, if I make a distinction with public service media, all of that persona information is just on our website. It's, it's all there available for you to see. And much of our research is also uh, available for you to see, any other kinds of research. Um, the, yeah, so we tried, again, make, we're a bit different. We can put all that information out in, in the public domain. What's critical to us in our conversations with you is um, what's certainly helpful uh, is if, if you take a partnership approach and one of the functions of a partnership approach is that you come a little prepared. So you've done a little homework, you've taken the time to look at those personas. If you've got questions, issues or concerns, then they're on the table, but it's a great way to start rather than, I got a great idea for a show. You answered my next question, which is what information are you prepared to share with producers and what do you need to know from them? Because the, the pitching process is scary. It can be really nerve-wracking if you've never been in a room with a commissioner. Right. I, I, like, it still scares me, and you know, I'm a grown-up. But um, So I just, uh, it really being able to demystify that process and know that you're not kind of walking in blind. So on, again, if you sign up to the RNZ commissioning newsletter, is, um, obviously it runs in parallel to things like uh, TMP and NZ on Air's funding rounds around requests for proposals. Uh, but also it provides any updates and information about what we're thinking about and what we're doing as well. Um, there's uh, collateral material around um, what we need from publicists, consistent with that um, partnership approach and understanding the time value of the information that we need uh, from you as well. So there's a lot of collateral that's sitting in there. What's interesting about that is that, that if, if you are saying what you need from publicists, then the information is there to put into your budgets, right? It's like you, you can price that stuff out and put it in your budget. Yeah, it feels, 
and it feels like a no-brainer to say, but I can never stress that enough. Um, you've been commissioning stories that have very specific primary audiences, um, thinking about conversations with my immigrant parents, which is such a beautiful series. How do you know those shows are reaching their targets and what do you measure? Right, so we actually it was an example we shared, that show was an example we shared with, I think, uh, management and board of New Zealand on air. God, was it last year? Beginning of last year. And actually I've got, I think I've got it here somewhere. So basically what we try to do is take a 360 degree approach to where we, um, where our content intersects with the audience. One of, one of the real troubles is, one of the problems around post-analysis is that it's actually become so much easier to make and publish content than it is to track the performance of it. Um, the opaque and inconsistent metrics, what do I mean by that? Is that um, uh, everybody, every platform has their own um, uh, setting around what a video view constitutes. And even within that, um, publishers can set their own times. So if you, you know, so we might set ours at a minute or two minutes or three minutes. Um, uh, commercial might set it slightly lower because more frequent, the more money you can make. But also one of the real challenges with this is how do you deduplicate all this viewership? So whether I'm watching online, listening on radio, watching on telly or whatever the case may be, it's even if we take this 360 degree approach where we're looking at social media and all those other apertures where we're promoting and people are viewing and listening to content, how do you deduplicate that? So if you figure that out, you've probably got a job on Madison Avenue <laughs> earning a million a week. But um, so it is, there's, but it doesn't mean that we don't try. So um, working with obviously the producers, um, the platform partners. So um, uh, my immigrant parents, if I'm not mistaken, was uh, we shared the content with RE at, uh, at TVNZ. So they provide some of their information where we work with Māori TV, they share with us as well. So it is extraordinarily difficult, but um, it's important that we give it a crack. And how much agency do you give producers and their publicity and marketing teams in terms of how they promote content that you have commissioned? Yeah. If they treat, it as, treat us as our partner, uh, I mean genuinely, and uh, on a no surprises basis, yeah. then I think you find that, I think most media companies would be pretty generous about that. But what we hate is finding stuff. <laughs> In, in odd places that we didn't know or understand. Can, so. can I jump in there? I think as an agency who's been in that position, like we worked really closely with the Māori TV team to make sure that they were up to speed with what we were doing and understanding what they were doing and how our stuff weaved in with that. Because the other thing too is that you don't want to be clumsy about how you're deploying assets. You know, you want the market to receive the the content, whether it's coming from Bright Sign or Māori TV, because to them, they, they don't care about that. You know, it's coming to them in a logical way. So that's why you need to work really closely and be in partnership with um, the internal team. I'm going to bring Ruben in, I'm sorry, with a story that you already know um, about working in partnership with TVNZ on the last thing I produced, um, which had um, some really, really successful aspects in terms of how TVNZ Publicity helped us out with our series, What's Your Problem?, which was a Hey Hey series for children. Um, but we also had an interesting situation where we created, uh, so, so my creative partner is Joseph Hersher, who is a YouTube star and knows that algorithm through and through and literally uses it to edit his videos. So he will put a video up, he will watch how it's performing, where the drop-off is, and he will go back in and recut, or he will take that knowledge into his next video. And that's, that's something you can do when you're on YouTube or TikTok or Instagram, right? But it's not, not something you can do when you're delivering a, an already made series necessarily, but you can tweak your marketing. So we allowed budget, we snuck it into the production budget. Amy knew, so that's okay. Because, <laughs> you know, that's, that was when we were trying to, all sorts of creative ways to augment publicity and marketing, right? So we snuck an extra week of editing into our production budget specifically to make our social media promotional uh, assets. Um, and then we got TVNZ in to look at them and we were told, you're giving away the story and you can't do that. And it was... It, was, it, it wasn't me, just to it be wasn't very Ruben. clear. <laughs> it wasn't Ruben. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was wild because it wasn't narrative, but it was we were essentially being told that we were that there were spoilers all through our content. And the thing about... 
the thing that we know about children and how they watch is that <laughs> if they like something, they'll watch it 25 times. Anyone here who's got a kid, honestly, the Christmas Santa, Paw Patrol Saves Christmas episode of Paw Patrol, I think I've watched that 57 times in a single day. Um, yeah, so... Uh, so that was an interesting experience, and so that's by it, way of... It saddens me that that, that occurred, um, and it's certainly not a view that's held um, by the marketing and publicity team now, and I, ho I hope that the person that made that decision isn't still there, and, and we haven't <laughs> talked about who it is, um, but I'd really like to know, so if this comes and out I over really the next couple of days, it's going to be I really have forgotten their name because um, it was a regrettable... Because, because obviously experience. for us, and, and it's getting harder and harder and harder to cut through and, and to get your stories out there, and, and that applies to us. Um, and, you know, the, the conversation that we regularly have with producers um, when we're cutting promos or we're, we're doing stories um, is that they don't want us to give away things because that scene cost X amount of money or um, that's giving away the storyline. And we're like, if you don't give that away, yeah. you're not having anyone come in yeah. to watch it. You know, and that's part of the reason why some of the biggest trailers for some of the biggest films are not cut by the producers and directors because they're too close to it. So I suppose the, the only um, suggestion I'd give, give you is trust the publicists and, and the marketers to take that and know what the audience wants. And sometimes that means giving up something that's really precious to you. Um, but it, it comes down to if you don't give it up, you may not get that audience to come in and watch the content in the first place. And that that's, you know, a tragedy. So can you um, take us inside the behemoth that is the TVNZ marketing ecosystem? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, we've got a slide which sort of talks through handy. the... Well, yeah, very handy. One we prepared earlier. Um, and so this slide is just um, basically talking through the, the workflow that we go through um, for those that are interested to sort of understand how, how we go from the project being commissioned right through to the, the campaign going live. Um, hopefully that's coming up very shortly, but ultimately it starts with uh, us meeting with producers and, and the commissioner. And these meetings can go on for weeks or months, depending how long the lead time is for the show. Sometimes they can go on for days and then it's like the show's out there. Um, but ideally we like as much time as possible. So we have meetings that go on and it talks about casting, talks about the format, um, talks about opportunities that we can use um, before the show goes into production. Um, and then that's when we can work out where we can fit shoots in. So sometimes we'll put a two-day marketing shoot in the middle or depending on the availability of cast, um, which is different every time. Um, from that process, we then... Uh, I, I take all of that information back and, and we're very fortunate that we have a research and insights team at TVNZ that I can brief in. And um, so I give them all of that information. I give them the scheduling information, the you know, uh, time slot, um, TX date, all of those sorts of things. And they come back with um, an audience sort of recommendation. So as you can see, we start with the sort of first step is the content and production meetings. And then this leads into um, me taking all of that information and feeding it into what we call a content input form. Um, and so this goes to our commissioning team to make sure that everything that we've collated, and this is sort of managing an internal process, um, is getting that information and going, is this exactly, is my understanding of our meetings that we've had, is this accurate? Um, and so they feed into that as well. Then we go into, and I put in a research and insights brief, and this is where we're looking for that audience um, sort of profile and, and data. And I also ask them for, if it's for linear TV, ask them for that sort of ratings, expectations, um, or predictions. Um, from that, I then form another brief, which is to our marketing um, creative team and our publicity team. And so this has all of the information that they need to know about casting format, timing, all of the things. Then from that, um, they come back. And so we have an external media agency as well as an internal media that, that run our own media. Then we have external. Um, they come back with their media recommendations on how we should approach that campaign based on the insights that we've given them. From there, we um, for some productions, we go into a, um, a shoot. So we do a bespoke marketing shoot. Um, sometimes we use the show footage. So for example, for the likes of uh, Black Hands, um, which was the Bain family story, we um, it wasn't appropriate for us to do a marketing shoot with that. So we wanted to let the, the content do the heavy lifting and the storytelling of that. But we used assets that were provided to us by production. But other times, we, it's required that we do a shoot. From there, we go into post-production, um, and then it goes into the sharing of the campaign with internal stakeholders and external stakeholders. So that's the producers, that's the commissioners, that's um, the programmers, that's everyone else that's involved. Sometimes there's clients and sponsors involved. 
and then it goes live. And um, there's an element of, we hope this is going to go well. Um, and sometimes campaigns are well received and sometimes they're not, and that's the reality of the world we live in. It's the same with content. Sometimes you find an audience that love it and sometimes they don't like it. And, and it's something you genuinely have to learn to live with and it's taken me eight years to, and I'm still learning um, because you get so close to the content and the, and the campaign and the treatment of it. Um, and then the show launches and then there's ongoing sort of support. So this is just sort of a top line summary of, of the workflow behind it. Yeah, yeah, fair question. Um, it, it, so this is sort of a, a top-line summary of, of what goes on, but there are variations of this depending on, largely if it's linear TV, it comes down to when it's been, um, what, what time it's been put into, because based on resource that we have, we can't, um, we don't have the ability to support everything as far as every local production that we have. But what would an on-demand, a, a show that you've commissioned purely for, and on that note, what value does local content have if it's solely on-demand when you're commissioning it just for your on-demand platform? Why yeah, do you do it? Um, so on-demand is treated as, as a channel. So it's, it's, it's treated equally now um, to TV1 and TV2. So it, it is um, in its own right, its own platform. It has content that is just for on-demand and it has content that launches simultaneously across um, both or all of the platforms. Um, so it, it, it varies by, by show, but um, certainly on-demand content is not treated as a, um, a poor cousin, which it was previously. And what information do you share with producers at what point? Like how, how open are you? Are you sort of radically transparent or is there stuff you hold back in terms of how you measure success? There genuinely isn't. And, and this may have happened in the past where not all information was shared, but um, I don't really see the advantage to anyone to holding that back. And so if you want to know information, if you want to know the audience profile and, and compare it to what you've, you've got of your own, then let's do that. Let's have that conversation early because hopefully they're the same. Um, but obviously we're using this sort of data of knowing what audiences are watching and, and similar content if that exists. Um, and you may have a different view on that. Or it may be the same, but we can totally compare notes. That's not a problem. Just ask. I mean, that would be great. I mean, like for those who are looking to work out their audiences, a bit like if you were trying to compare like cans on the shelf, you know, which one sold better, you know, for producers to be able to have um, access to how other programs performed would be really insightful for informing um, their marketing as well. So that would be great. Yeah, like sharing with other producers, yeah. not just the producer you're dealing with. I guess... I guess one thing that would be great before I open it up to questions to, to understand, especially I guess in the RNZ space and in the space of less commercial stories, is what does success look like? How do you quantify it? How do you, I mean we've talked a bit about social impact, but yeah, what does success look like? What are, you most, what are some shows you're proud of and why? Um, I, well, if I, it's, it's funny, I know, I understand quantify. Uh, Quantify by itself is not how we... So, obviously, the number of people reading, listening is important, but we also qualify. So, we have commissioned and will make programmes for, uh, for Westport in the South Island. And if, and if we, get, we get a great response from the local community in Westport, job done, right? So, we... Because we're not trying... The, the measure there is more about a quality of engagement rather than trying to deliver a massive audience. It's still, it's still important for us to um, reach as many New Zealanders as we can, and it might be surprised this group. There are still a reasonable proportion of New Zealanders that arguably don't even know RNZ exists. Um, so we've, we've, we've also got a bit of a job to do there. So, yeah, so we look at it on, a, I guess, quite a multidimensional level. We look at... We, in, some, in some part, around the Innovation Fund, it was about building capacity in the production industry. So part of the success there was the success of the producer themselves, how, how they developed in the course of that particular project, and obviously how, how the audience for whom that particular piece of content uh, responded to it as well. But I, I do emphasise we look for both a quantitative and qualitative outcome. So a lot of our research is uh, um, about how people feel and relate to the content, not just the uh, raw numbers. How do you measure how people feel? <laughs> so we run qualitative research. The, so the question, sorry, for the back was, yeah. how do you measure 
how people feel? Okay, so Excellent question. So we, we run qualitative research, and again, that's all in the public domain. If you go to the RNZ website and you look at documents that are available, you'll see a report called Value Indices. If you take a look at our annual report as well, um, the other piece of the other thing that we monitor very closely is again these more qualitative things like trust and favorability. So again, we look at not just the our own research around an important quality like trust, but we also look at the recent AUT research and other the way that other people measure trust as well. So it is it becomes it's it's not enough to say that a number of people watched the show to understand whether they cared about it or whether it made an impact on it or whether they'll ever come back again. Ruben and Stella, I'd yeah. love you to both speak to that question as well. For those of us who, who um, yeah, who, if you don't have access to that um, type of funding to do that type of research, um, don't underestimate your um, social media comments. And um, we often kind of go through and um, scan those and you'll be surprised like some key themes that kind of pop up that would inform um, how people feel or just insights on like, oh, they really love that episode for X, Y, Z reason. So social listening is, is really important. With a filter, right? You know, so so don't don't take everything you read on social media as gospel. Because if we did, we wouldn't we wouldn't commission any local shows or or any shows because there's always haters out there, and it, it's exhausting for our um, social team to deal with that every single day. Um, you know, so so yeah, apply, apply a lens. You can get a sentiment from it, but don't necessarily listen to the loudest voices on social. Um, Ours are very similar as far as, you know, researching and measuring success. Um, I suppose that the, the only thing that I would add to that would be that um, we have commercial demographics for, for each of our channels and that's just the reality of our world. Um, and so success for us is achieving, you know, the commercial success in that target audience. So whether it be 25 to 54 for TV1, TV2 is 18 to 49, uh, TVNZ On Demand is 18 to 54. So as long as we're achieving those, then, then that's sort of the ultimate measure of success for us. I just want to ask two quick questions before handing it over. Um, uh, when I binged the Creamery, uh, sorry, there's no Great bar. show. Yeah, great show. When I binged Creamery, uh, I got advertised on demand. So I watched it, uh, the first episode, live, because um, I'm a good New Zealander, and then binged <laughs> the rest. And all the ads were for luxury cars, and <laughs> I rode my bicycle here today. So um, you are barking up the wrong tree there, my man. Can you please explain on-demand advertising, given that you, I'd love to look at that slide, given that you you have quite a good drill down in terms of yeah, who sure. is watching on-demand? It, it's, it's, a, it's a beast of a um, conversation, that one, and I'm not sure I can do it justice in a very short space of time, but there, there are many reasons why you may have been served those ads. Um, it depends. It's all right. Another friend got served milk ads, which was hilarious. <laughs> Good. When you think about it, creamery. Please, please to hear it. Um, th there are so many reasons it can ultimately who the advertisers yeah. asked to target, um, and that's not necessarily within our control. Um, it can be the time of day that you watched based on ads being served and caps, and there's, there's so many things that we could sort of dive into as far as that's concerned, but there's a whole bunch of activity around um, and work going into on-demand about making sure that those ads are served relevant to, if, to the audience. If you're interested in reading up on that, it's called programmatics. You know, it's how 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 these digital how they turn up and like oh, you know, so programmatics is the um the science behind the digital marketing if you want to Google. Awesome. Oh by the way, tonight when we launch our the first iteration of our publicity um, toolkit, there is a page of resources including a lot of links to RNZ's audience information, TVNZ's audience information and beyond. So um, the last question is, um, and sorry, the New Zealand Film Commission are not in the room, but um, when I, I just went and glanced as part of putting these resources together at their audience engagement strategy guidelines for when you are, when you are submitting a, a pitch. And it said, you know, tell us who your audience is, e.g. 18 to 39 female skewed. Is that good enough anymore? That feels really not good. Yeah, I mean, from from my from my perspective, I mean, I'm sure it'll be different for you guys because there's commercial, mm -hmm. as you said, segments. But as a marketer, 
that's like not enough. You got to drill down to personas. You got to understand psychographics, which is ding ding, um, a term about like understanding your audience beyond like um, where they live um, and age. Um, it's like behaviors, um, what are their values, attitudes, and lifestyles, because that kind of insight will um, kind of like hone in a little bit more, um, and it might um, yeah determine how you tie. There's actually an example of psychographics if you want to bring up the um, TVNZ on demand slides. So it's great that you got that. So if um, if I would really, um, it, I mean, what I'm enjoying hearing from um, from you too is that there is information available around specific audiences that you want the content to perform in, and you got psychographics and all of that. It's then translating the marketing exercise into leveraging those audiences. Mm. Yeah. Um, this particular, just quickly, this particular slide is, um, and, and these are sales documents that are available on our website. Um, there's no secret to any of this, but this is just for context, this is from last year. Um, and so there's, there's, a, there's a few stats. Um, what the one thing that I found quite interesting is if you look on the right-hand side in the middle where it's got North Island faves and South Island faves, you can clearly see there's a very big difference in audiences there. North Island faves, Kura, so, the Cascateers, so the Deadlands... Uh, one new special, Les Mills On Demand, South Island faves, Black Hands, Emmerdale, Coronation Street. The farmer wants a wife and family guy. So, so quite different behaviours and two different audiences. This is, so just for context, this is favourites, as in they have favourited it in their profile on On Demand. It's not necessarily the most viewed content. If we can just flick to the next... Slide. So that's a, a bit of demo and, and cut down about profiles and, and sort of which ones reach which, but if we cut to the next one. So then you've got a little bit more information there and um, before I get a ding, ding, ding on sinks and dinks. So for context, that is single income with no kids. Dinks is dual income, so a couple with no kids. Um, and then you've got an example the of everyday They're the ones you want families. to adopt you, eh? The dual income, no kids. Yeah, ideally. Yeah. <laughs> Luxury car. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So this is just a, an example of three groups. It is not representative of all of the groups and you can cut data and insights any way you want it, but it gives you an indication of some of the psychographics as in behaviours, what, where they, um, the household shop, what they're shopping and all of those sorts of things. This kind of information is what makes marketing people excited. <laughs> Does it make you excited, Stephen? No, no. Um, I, in another life, I used to head up agency sales for, so I was responsible for three quarters of... TVNZ sales revenue. And I have to say, not having to worry about whether you're a single income home or a double income home when you're in a job like I am is liberating, frankly. I bet. I bet. Um, we have approximately five minutes. The floor is yours. Um, yeah, I was involved in a TV production for our films called Colonial Combat. Oh, yeah. um, I'm a, oh, thank you. Um, it was a period piece. We put a lot of a lot of the budget just went straight into the production. Um, and it was a miracle that we got it finished. Um, and then when it went to screen, my frustration is that we create a bunch of marketing assets, awesome photographs, uh, EPKs, trailers, and then we send it to um, the platforms and then not much happens. And my question is, do the funders, like if New Zealand On Air funded it, do they check in with these platforms to see what marketing has been done? Um, yeah, that's kind of a general question for all platforms, really. <laughs> and for Amy, probably, too. And I think, and again, I was going to say, if Soph wants to add to this as well, I think the short answer is uh, we haven't been auditing and we're going to start auditing. And what we often find when proposals come into us, it'd be interesting actually to get your perspective on this in particular, Ruben, is that oftentimes you'll get proposals that come in, but because they're speculative, so they don't know if they're going to get funding, they haven't gone really through the rigmarole of the beautiful workflow chart that you've seen and all that dedicated thought. It almost has a kind of TBC, this is what we might do. It might be 2,000 TARPs. Don't even actually know what TARP stands for. Total audience rating point. There you go. Um, <laughs> Having worked at TVNZ, that's a shocker. But so, so in in many ways, the kind of the flow of that information coming into us is a wee bit broken because it's it's not necessarily like that's locked in. So it can often sort of say may change at any point. I think that the point about where we might start to look at producer-led marketing alongside what the platforms are doing, that therefore we'll have a much more direct line into the producers being able to supply exactly what they think they can do at that point, and then what actually gets done. And I think we will even start to look at changing the 
forms so that when you're putting your submissions in, you'll actually be saying, this is the type of audience we think we're going to achieve. So we've got baseline data actually tracked. And then in an ideal world, you'd actually be able to input what the outcomes were so that if you start to see it sort of dropping off completely, there's the basis for a conversation that can be had that was like, well, why did that happen? Not to be punitive, but just to say maybe there's a learning there that could be taken into the next thing. And actually maybe we have also internally been saying, do we also work harder with the platforms, provide a clearer set of data that we're saying this is what we see as important to us, like what may be a standardised viewers for video across all these different platforms and video metrics, and then actually say we're now going to ask that of you and if we don't get that information and it would be a surprise if we didn't but if we didn't that could almost be a leverage point to say well you can't keep coming in for funding until we get that data so I think it's a long game but there's definitely those kind of conversations about how we better audit and monitor. Did you have anything you wanted to add on that? Um, if we're being really honest here when I first started one of my biggest frustrations was working with um, the platforms and them not actually telling us once the content had premiered so one of the biggest things that I have started is chasing um, platforms and saying, um, when is it premiering? Um, you know, what is the marketing plan around it? Can you share some of those marketing assets? Because, you know, New Zealand on Air isn't a massive platform for pro promoting things, but we'll use our audience that we have on socials as well as we can. Um, and that's a relationship that we have made stronger with a lot of platforms. Um, but yeah, it's definitely something to acknowledge because I think a lot of funded projects can often forget who funded them at the start. And we're never, like, we're never the centre of the story, and that's fine. Um, but I believe that every single person in an audience counts, so I don't understand why people wouldn't share as much as they can. But that's just me. So maybe a bit too frank, but yeah. <laughs> Is that work wasted? Yeah, I mean, it's hard because I, I don't know that specific example, so I'm going to speak in a broader um, sense. Uh, all I could recommend is that let's speak earlier rather than handing over assets. So let's just make sure that those assets actually work for the job to be done. Um, something from our perspective at the moment is, and this is not an excuse, it is just a fact, we currently have 180 local productions at various phases right now. So that's on air and in, into um, production, post-production, all of the things. And we are having all of these conversations all of the time there is only so much inventory that we have to use all of these assets. So if we can speak early enough and we can sort of align on things, then we can we can have a clear plan of what, what, what we intend to use and maybe what's a luxury or a nice to have. And what local platforms need and what international sure. distributors need are two different things as well. So I would say it's never wasted. But question up the bat. Kia ora. Hepatai. Um, so... Am I close enough now? Kia ora. Um, so my question is, um, seeing a lot of amazing data transformed into information for us, um, and after having a little corridor at our morning tea about how with some people who don't watch, um, I know this was naughty, but watching our, our local um, productions, um, how do you re-engage with the disengaged, um, I suppose is my question, especially for minority communities? Um, as someone who is not a platform and um, I'm not a, a filmmaker, my, you know, I'm the marketing folk and just have a genuine desire to, to connect. I think that, um, I do think that there is another layer of um, marketing that can be done by, by the by the makers themselves to support. Um, so there's what the platforms will do. But I think a bit like what we did with the barber, we set up that social media channel and we work with them to share, you know, bite-sized information. Peleti, what's Peleti up to to keep engaged? Because we knew that the second barber was coming up. We didn't stop talking to the audience after barber one. You, once you set up your page for your movie, your film or whatever, um, after your film runs, you've got to think about how you keep talking to your audience so that when your next project comes along, you've got a following there. So part of it is that you've got to take responsibility around building your brand and your products and presence in the market. The A to Z of Publicity Workshop podcasts are proudly supported by New Zealand On Air's Industry Development Fund, the US Embassy and Images and Sound. Music for the podcast was provided by Poddington Bear, Fakatoki by Lalena Feunati, and voiceover by Gemma Gracewood. Kia ora.